Happy New Year and welcome to the Transfer Window Podcast, the home to all your transfer needs in 2018. I'm Henry McRae and I'm joined by our dynamic duo of transfer titans, Ian McGarry and Duncan Castles. The Transfer Window is open for business and we'll do our utmost to keep you on top of all the latest news with unparalleled insight into the real business end of the season. Coming up, we'll take a close look at the increasingly uneasy relationship between Jose Mourinho and not only his paymasters at Manchester United, but now some of their most popular former players. Is Jose just mischief making or did a legendary class of 92 really want to oust him to get their collective backsides on the old Trafford hot seat one way or another? Or is Paul Scholes right when he says Paul Pogba is not only underperforming, playing in the wrong position. We'll look at the multitude of Premier League clubs desperately hoping to splash some cash in January to buy the goals capable of keeping them in the top flight. And we'll have some exclusive insight into the latest moves for Celtic's Musa Dembele. But first, let's take a look at the ongoing saga of Philip Coutinho, who appears to finally be on his way out of Anfield in the direction of Barcelona. Liverpool make big strides in lining up his replacement. Duncan, tell us what you know. Well, it looks like it should happen in this window. It's certainly getting a lot closer to happen. I think the most important thing here is that Liverpool have um, advanced matters with a replacement for Coutinho, um, who is Thomas Lamar from Monaco, a uh, player they tried to sign in the summer at the point at which they asked Barcelona to hold off at the end of the window while they, they secured a replacement. In the summer, they got agreement from Lamar that he would join Liverpool, but then they were gazumped on the transfer fee by Arsenal on deadline day. As you might remember, with Arsenal putting a €95 million Euro bid in, which Monaco accepted, and then Lamar refused to move to Arsenal because he wasn't convinced that was the, the best move. Liverpool have continued... Uh, their seduction of Lamar um, and I'm told from contacts in Monaco that he has told them he will come and is expecting to move should the Coutinho deal go through with Barcelona. Um, Liverpool's position on Coutinho has, has moved noticeably in that um, they are now refusing to tell uh, the press that he is not for sale as was their position for the last three weeks of the of the, the window in August, um, and also intimating that they would accept a price of around 150 million euros total with bonuses included. At the Barcelona end, um, they have, in December, they were suggesting that Liverpool were, pro- were proving too hard to negotiate with. Um, they were being too demanding on bonus structure and didn't want to go above 100 million euros, but they are also now briefing that they're prepared to increase their offer and uh, change the bonus structure in the deal. So you see the two clubs together on an agreement. Um, There was a meeting planned yesterday between them to discuss the transfer. Coutinho himself has been told by his agent that a deal will be done and that he will be a Barcelona player. And of course, Coutinho is um, in the situation he was throughout most of August, in which he is sidelined with a, a minor injury. Um, and also, I think some Liverpool fans noticed that when when he played his last game um, at Anfield, he uh, he 
went and waved to eat all four corners of the ground after the match, and um, which is not his usual behaviour post-match, and, and it's the kind of thing a player does when he believes he's leaving a club. So the, the deal's not done, but what you see is, um, I think, Liverpool being very strategic in that they have uh, set their price, they want Barcelona to meet that price, they've got the preparation in place to get a replacement in for Coutinho and the, the placement they want is high quality as a guy who obviously is wanted by Arsenal he's on Manchester United's recruitment list but I don't think they have the money to buy him um, he's valued elsewhere and if they can get Coutinho out now get the money in and get Lamar done in this window they can steal a march on the rivals and get a top quality player in So are you saying that the only way it'll get done is if Lamar is locked into uh arrive at Anfield? I'm saying that Liverpool want a replacement for that money. Obviously, if you, they, they, uh, they've got Van Dijk. They've spent heavily on Van Dijk. The, the questions that were asked immediately after they did Van Dijk was, oh, have you just spent this money because you're taking it for, you're expecting to take the money back and more for Coutinho? And their answer was categorically no. Um, so if they now sell Coutinho without getting a replacement and not only do they weaken the team, which is clearly very important to them, but they cause themselves a PR problem in that they let a player go, albeit one who's, who's pushed hard for a move and behaved well in the, in, in the intervening time when he's been playing for Liverpool, performed up to standard. So they're being strategic and they want that replacement in. There, you know, there are two ways the deal can fall apart. One, they don't come to a final agreement with Barcelona over price. Or two, they can't come to an agreement with Monaco over price. Monaco's uh, position is that they won't sell Lamar in this window. But the people who know um, Monaco well suggest that that is their position on several players in the summer, that they wouldn't sell them. And ultimately, they do sell when the price is met. So what's clear is Liverpool sell Coutinho to um, Barcelona. They will more than have enough money to reach an agreement with Monaco for the player. So the only way they, and the player wants to come to them, the only way they can then lose out is if another club comes in and beats their transfer fee again, and that other club says, convinces Lamar that um, they are a better club to go to than Liverpool are. In my experience, Henry, um, when you get <clears throat> a, a um, statement for, which was uh, as emphatic and definitive as Liverpool's was. And remember, last summer, it came from Fenway Sports Group. It came from the owners of the club. And they said, categorically, Felipe Coutinho will be a member of the Liverpool squad after the summer window closes. Now, they kept that promise, despite the fact they were negotiating with Barcelona all the way through. They know they have a player who's already in his own mind in the Blaugrana shirt and wants to play at Camp Nou. I think common sense has prevailed here uh, and the movement that's happened in the interim period between the closing of the summer window and the opening of the January window is that Liverpool themselves have, have moved themselves, and we said this on last week's football podcast, into a different stratosphere in terms of their transfer business with the Van Dijk move. It was not an unexpected transfer, but the revelation, or sorry, I should say the revealing of the transfer before the window even opened, for a world record for a defender of £75 million, immediately rang alarm bells for me. And I was thinking, 
something else is happening here. This isn't simply them giving Jurgen Klopp what he wants. This is clearly an indication that something else is about to happen. There's been a shift in Fenway Sports Group's um, control stroke um, policy of how they deal in transfers. They've made a, a huge investment in one player and a defender. Therefore, something else is coming. And so the fact that Duncan has now told us that they are actively negotiating and indeed closing in on a deal with Barcelona for Coutinho, which will be in the realms of, uh, what, maybe £50 million in profit after the Van Dyke fee has been paid, I think there's got to be logic <clears throat> and good business sense to that. You've got a player who doesn't want to be there. You've got a player who wants to leave. You've got a club who wants to buy him. My problem with this transfer is that uh, Thomas Lamar is not a like-for-like replacement for Felipe Coutinho. In fact, he will be, when you look at Liverpool's current front three, he would be surplus to that because Manny and Salah, to this point, have played consistently as out-and-out wingers. Salah is top scorer in England, playing from the right side. Manny plays on the left side. Firmino plays through the middle. Coutinho actually has been recruited by Barcelona as a long-term replacement for Andres Iniesta to play in central midfield and play in a very much more creative but withdrawn role. You bring Thomas Lamar in, you're basically saying we've got four players for three positions, but Coutinho's creativity misses out. So who could, I think that's the problem. And of course, add into the fact that Emery Chan, whether you like him or not, whether you think he's a good player or not, Emery Chan is leaving Liverpool at the end of the, uh, this season as well. So they're now down two creative central midfield players, but they've got a, a surplus of wide men to complement Firmino through the middle. And again, still don't have a 20-goal season striker. So while I think Liverpool's transfer business financially looks quite good, I think on a football basis, I think for Jurgen Klopp, there are a lot of questions to be answered. And do you think they're going to get a free run at Lamar, Duncan? Or um, do, do you expect the likes of Arsenal to rekindle their interest? Look, January is a better time to try and do this. Um, as I say, I think Liverpool are very, very clever and strategic in trying to get a deal done now. Um, January is a better time to do it because if you're doing it in the summer, then everyone has their budget. Everyone's prepared to do deals. There's far less concern about shifting around squads and, and balances and convincing players to come. It's, you know, summer is the, is the proper dealing time. Um, Liverpool clearly are doing a good job convincing players that it's the right place to come to. And obviously Jurgen Klopp plays a part in that. They've done that with Van Dijk. They convinced him that, that Liverpool was the best club to, to come to, despite competition from Manchester City and Chelsea. Obviously, the, the fee they put down is a, a part of that. and They went higher than, than those competing clubs were prepared to go. But they convinced the player first, and that, that is what I've told they've, they've done with Lamar too. It's possible Arsenal will try and, and bid again, um, but it would be a very difficult and potentially embarrassing thing for them to do. You know, possible in the sense that they take money from Manchester City for Alexis Sanchez. They'll need a new player in. They might go back to what they did in the summer when they were about to sell Alexis Sanchez. Their solution was to take that money and add some more to it and buy Lamar on the last day, to try and buy Lamar on the last day of the window. Come back in again, having the player already having rejected them once and the player having told Liverpool his preferences to go there over him, 
over them, then they're likely to be embarrassed again in, in that pursuit. That doesn't mean they won't try, but it wouldn't be a particularly sensible thing to try. I don't think Manchester United will go there. I know Mourinho rates the player extremely highly and he's effectively top of the list of um, wingers that he would like to bring in, but the budget is not there to spend that much on um, a winger alone um, when he needs other positions filled. Um, so, and possibly one of the other big clubs could go for him, but I don't I don't see the money being there in January, as I said, as would be in the summer. So that's why, that's why I think Liverpool are being smart. And as Ian says, they're cashing in on an asset who doesn't want to be at the club, who they're being offered a huge price for. And yes, they'll overpay for Lamar as a replacement, but you know, they, they will take a profit on the deal and they get a player who wants to be in the club. And, and Lamar, I think, is, is a little bit more flexible than just being able to play left wing Monaco used him quite a lot in uh, in, a, in a midfield role, a left midfield role or an attacking midfield role um, last season. So he's got the capability tactically to play a few positions. And the other thing you have to add in is that Klopp seems to have I've got a bit more of a grasp on um, winter football in the Premier League. It's third attempt at it. He's using rotation far, far more um, regularly than he did in his first two seasons as a way to, to get around what has been a real problem time of the year for him in terms of results. The last two Januarys, appalling sets of results in both of them. So um, while you might not have Lamar as the first pick going straight into the team at left wing, you'll certainly get plenty of playing time and can be used in a number of positions. So it's it fit to me. One, one more thing, Henry, on, on, on Liverpool uh, and Coutinho, etc., uh, before we move on, I guess, is we should say that despite um, the protestations of RB Leipzig about Naby Keita not joining Liverpool until his <clears throat> agreed date of, um, of signing, which is July the 1st, uh, 2018, I wouldn't be surprised that that transfer could be brought forward with a sweetener of an extra few quid. And I think that might be the, not a shock, but the, one of the little surprise packages in this whole movement of players in and out of Liverpool. Um, look, again, I think Graham Hunter was very complimentary and rightly so of Virgil van Dijk on last week's um, podcast. I think that's the right move for Liverpool for Klopp. He's, he's showing up what has been a fragile and leaky defence by bringing in a very dominant player. But what, I, what I was going to ask is, why, why is somebody like Lamar and van Dijk um, going to choose Liverpool as the first option rather than, you know, apparently City were in for Van Dijk and, you know, Arsenal. It, Lamar has already snubbed Arsenal by the sound of things. You know, Arsenal would have been an attractive destination for a player like Lamar uh, in the, the not-too-distant past because of yeah. their attractive football, but is Klopp's attractive, attractive football? Attractive players. Answer, Henry. Game time. Game time. Guaranteed game time. You're looking at young players, uh, big careers ahead of them, uh, feel like um, they're they're in a club right now. Before they move, that are going places. Their career is going the right direction. They're playing international football. They're getting that recognition. They're going to be at the World Cup next season. Um, and, and Lamar's case, that's certainly true. Van Dijk's obviously not the case because it's Hall didn't qualify. But I think that's an, becoming increasingly important to young players who, you know, they may may well. No, but Arsenal, Arsenal aren't keeping young players out of the team. Um, no, 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 no. But what I mean is, Sanchez and Ozil currently operate uh, on those two flanks um, at Arsenal. 
and Lamar would look at that and think, well, even though they're at a contract, if they re-sign, am I going to be the guy who's number three uh, for two positions? In Van Dyke's case, he goes to Manchester City, he's got to c- compete with Vincent Company and John Stones and probably someone else coming in. He might not fancy it and think, no, I've got Liverpool because I will definitely play because they're pretty rubbish in defence. So they're thinking, I'm going to play and improve the team that I'm going to rather than have to fight for my place and think that, you know, and end up maybe being on the bench for a year. And I'm, I don't want to be doing that. And I think that's becoming more and more uh, the case for, for players when they move. Used to be they would move simply for the money. And that's why you get players sitting on the bench earning 150, 200 grand a week. Because, and they're not playing and think, well, I, A, the club can't move them out because they earn too much. And B, the player doesn't want to move because he earns too much money. Now you're getting players signing for clubs where they, they genuinely believe they're going to be first choice in their position every single week. That's got to be positive. And I think, you know, looking at how Liverpool might set up, should Lamar join them and continue to leave, maybe Klopp will not not play 4-3-3, but four, play 4-2-3-1. So Lamar <clears throat> and Mane and Salah could all play in the team with Firmino in front. And then you've got the less creative pairing of, say, Jordan Henderson and Emery Chan in the two. So that could be Klopp's plan going forward for the rest of the season. So, he, for, so he, you know, he, he basically forgets the four-three-three, goes to four-two-three-one. You've got an attacking four there who are formidable in terms of what you look at and, and goals and everything else. And Lamar's pace would be an absolute, you know, addition of you know, be sensational in this league. Everyone knows I, in the Premier League that pace is one of the biggest assets you can have in your team, and Liverpool will have it all over the front four. I, th- I think there's two elements, two important elements. One is if a player's well advised or takes decisions sensibly, he looks to the long term of his career and he does exactly what Ian is suggesting. He says, am I going to play? Am I going to develop? Am I going to get game time? Where am I going to be in three, four, five years' time? And makes the decision on that basis. And with, with Thomas Lamar, he's 22. So when Thomas Lamar is making the decision between Arsenal and Liverpool, he's probably not seeing either of those clubs as his long-term destination of them as a stepping stone to one of the biggest clubs in world football, the same way Philip Coutinho did when he moved to Liverpool and the same way Luis Suarez did when he moved to Liverpool. And until Liverpool re-establish themselves in that tier, they'll always have players thinking of it that way and therefore they have to sell themselves as this is the best place for you to come to at this stage of the career. The other thing which is important and we kind of forget because Arsenal have had this status of being the bigger club for so long is that Liverpool are in the Champions League at the moment and Arsenal aren't. And Liverpool probably look like more more likely to be in the Champions League next season than Arsenal are. And that's, if you're an overseas player making a decision about where you want to play, especially one like Lamar who excelled in the Champions League last season with Monaco, you want to carry on playing in the Champions League. So so that becomes a, a factor in your decision. And and that's that's something Arsenal can't change. I just, you know, you can add in all the problems that are in the club and, and questions of what, what's going to happen with the manager and just the, the general discontent in that club, but they can't change the fact they can't offer Champions League football again. Okay, um, well, we'll expect to see this situation probably resolved uh, sooner rather than later, but um, there are several situations waiting to be resolved. Um the January window, always more difficult, as we say, to get a deal done. But many, many clubs, uh, after a particular type of player um, this time of year, and that's usually the striker, 
because they're desperately looking for goals to keep them up. Um, so, Ian, a bunch of clubs in the bottom of the Premier League all looking to get a guy up front who can knock the ball in the back of the net and keep them in the Premier League. Exactly right, Henry. And it's a situation which is, you know, does tend to come up year after year. And right now, if you look at the <clears throat> bottom half of the Premier League table, uh, I would name um, with certainty uh, Brighton, Newcastle, Crystal Palace, West Ham, Southampton, Stoke, West Brom and Swansea, all in the market for a striker in this window. <clears throat> of course, players are at a premium in the January window. No club who's got a handle on what they're trying to do um, over the next half of the season or indeed um, is indeed trying to battle for uh, a European place, a trophy or indeed staying up. If they've got a good striker, they're not going to let them go. Um, so players tend to look uh, a little bit more off the radar in the January window. Um, that's been the case with uh, with Everton, who don't happen to be in the bottom half, but you know, been desperate for a striker because they didn't recruit one to replace Romelu Lukaku uh, last transfer window. And they should complete negotiations with Besiktas today um, after a lengthy meeting last night for the transfer of Schenk Tosun. Um, young Turkish international uh, had very good strike rate um, in uh, Turkish League One, um, and they should uh, they should manage to get him. Um, of those clubs that I've mentioned, in the bottom half, Danny Ings is available on loan, and um, rather sort of you know unusually, or would you believe you know there's an option for Danny Ings because. Uh, first of all, he's available. Two, he's got Premier League experience and, and does have a record of, of a decent strike rate. I think one goal every 202 minutes or something uh, when he's played in the Premier League. That's probably going to be good enough to keep your team up. And he has got interest from West Brom, from West Ham, from Brighton, um, from Southampton. Um, all of those clubs desperate to get a striker. Um, you've also got Musa um, Dembele at, at Celtic, who, as we've discussed, is available for transfer in this window. Um, he's someone who I don't think has had the best season in terms of the first six months of this campaign, but obviously he had a blistering season last year. Uh, there's been interest, uh, I think, a new interest uh, that hasn't been um, reported from West Ham. And David Moyes has... Um, used some of his representatives to be in touch with Dembele's representatives, indeed not an interest with Celtic regarding the player's future. And I think that's something we should uh, look out for. Um, I think Duncan may have more information regarding uh, what we talked about regarding Brighton's interest in Dembele and where that's, that's gone in the last few days. Yeah, look, Brighton are, are, have been the most active in trying to get an agreement with Celtic. Um, on Dembele's transfer. Celtic are ready to sell. Um, they obviously want to maximise their money for it, but Brighton believe they can do a deal for around 18 or 20 million. Um, the other element, as always, is in convincing the player to, to join you. And there's a, there's a degree of reluctance on Dembele's side um, as to whether Brighton are the right place to go to. I think initially, his camp were very sceptical about Brighton as, as, as being the transfer to take. Um, they had discussions with the club, um, or his representatives had discussions with the club, were, were impressed by Brighton as a club, impressed by 
the way they're organized, the, the setup around the team, um, their ambitions, the sort of kind of sensible ownership and long-term strategy they have. But um, there has to be an agreement on salary and Brighton's salaries, I believe the top is at Brighton is £45,000 a week, which is not that much over what Dembele earns at Celtic because of the way he, he came to Celtic on a, on a particularly cheap deal from Fulham. Um, and his repre Dembele's representatives are, are approaching this in a very canny fashion, like we were just discussing with Lamar and other players. They're perceiving this move as a stepping stone move with, with the players' long-term career in mind. Um, they see Dembele as a player who could become one of the top strikers in the European game if he develops in the right way. So they want to move him to the right club, they want the right environment, the right coach working for him. And they are prepared to wait. Um, they know that January is a, a, a difficult time to move in the sense that you come straight into a team needing results, uh, no adaptation period. You don't get a pre-season to work out what the manager wants and, and get to know your teammates. You're expected to go into the side. And, and in Dembele's case, you'd be expected to score goals immediately. And while someone like Brighton can be attractive in the sense that they produce chances, if that goes badly for him, that could set his career back. Um, they also have interest. Um, Dembele's been scouted for a long time by top-tier Premier League clubs. And although there's no offer on the table from a top-tier Premier League club at the moment, there is the suggestion that something might happen there. Perhaps not in this window, but certainly in the summer. So... It's whoever wants to sign Moussa Dembele, I think it's actually going to be harder to agree terms with the player than it is to be to agree terms with Celtic, who definitely want to cash in and will sell it once the, the price suits them. Maybe we'll have to wait for the summer for a resolution to it. Maybe one of these bottom end clubs will convince them um, and be prepared to pay the money for, for a player who they think can score the goals to keep them up. Another Celtic player, Another Henry who's on the radar um, of a couple of Premier League clubs, is uh, Lee Griffiths. Now, Crystal Palace, I know for a fact, have scouted him. Um, and he's also been scouted by West Brom. <clears throat> the problem with Griffiths, of course, is that um, he spent some time at Wills uh, a few years ago, didn't like it in England, uh, was homesick, and then uh, effectively steal the transfer back to Scotland. Um, to be uh, at Celtic, and I think has done, has performed outstandingly, both for the club and for Scotland in that time. Um, both clubs, and um, but that's again, I repeat, Crystal Palace and West Brom are aware of the potential uh, obstacles to making Griffiths a successful signing. I also believe that Celtic are not uh, in the mood to part with them, especially given that they're actively marketing Dembele. However, it's not with the, the realms of, of reason to believe that if they can't cash in on Dembele, then Griffiths might become available for you know a, a price that they wouldn't expect to get for him. But again, I said the obstacle would be the player himself uh, wanting to leave Scotland to move down south again. But it's one to watch out for that because, as I said, the um, absolute priority uh, of clubs in the bottom half of the Premier League is to buy goals in this window. And I, I think at this moment in time, if I were a Premier League club, um, I'd be looking at Lee Griffiths as a, as a way of buying goals to keep them up. Certainly a natural goal scorer with a fantastic 
goal scoring record. Um, I mean, how ambitious can these clubs be? Just think of some of the names of some strikers around who are not exactly first team choices at the moment. You've got Olivier Giroud. Would, would, could somebody like Everton try and prize Giroud from? They Arsenal? tried. They tried Henry, and, and he wouldn't move north. He refused to. He actually went to Liverpool, went round Finch Farm. Uh, Everton was very, very modern and well equipped training ground. Was impressed by the setup. Was impressed by the club, but he and his wife decided they did not want to leave London. And I think Giroud is much more likely to move to Monaco um, should Lamar move to Liverpool than he is to move anywhere else in England. I don't believe that he, uh, unless it would be a big offer from a London club. We're talking here about um, you know, lower, part, lower uh, place Premier League clubs and strikers. We're kind of almost overlooking the fact that Chelsea desperately to augment their strike, their strike force because clearly there's no great love for Michi Batshuayi um, with Antonio Conte. Um, if anyone saw the Chelsea-Arsenal game uh, this midweek, they'll see how low in confidence Alvaro Morata is. And basically there's no one else there at Chelsea right now in order to, to, to come in and replace the goals that Morata's been giving them so far this season. And then, of course, look at Manchester City, who've just led Gabriel Jesus for at least two months and maybe up to 12 weeks, 14 weeks, uh, through injury. And, of course, injury is one of the biggest factors in forcing clubs to buy in the January window. Well, talk, talking, about injuries, talking about injuries, what about somebody like Daniel Sturridge? Daniel Sturridge is available, um, very much out of favour at, at Liverpool. Um, Jurgen Klopp's tired of him, uh, tired of uh, of his uh, of his repeated injury issues. And um, I think Southampton are are keen on on Daniel Sturridge um, and are looking to do a duel here. And and it's a good name to mention because he's he fits actually into that category of player that a lot of those clubs who are chasing strikers um, would look at. Then, then it becomes a question of whether you can convince someone like Sturridge, who we all know has a very high opinion of himself, to drop down um, a long way down the Premier League table to get starting football. Maybe you'd accept Southampton. I'm not sure Sturridge would would be ready to go to someone like Crystal Palace or or Brighton, for example. Um, although it could be a good good move for him if he did it on loan, had six months, scored a lot of goals, stayed fit, and then put himself in the shop window for a a summer move, but it's you know this is it's interesting how the Premier League's developed because a couple of seasons ago, two three seasons ago, you you talk to agents and they and they tell you that every Premier League club um, or almost every Premier League club, all the ones who are worried about relegation, were looking for a striker, but they were looking for one with um, on a loan with an option to buy who would score goals, and the answer would be well there aren't any of them available because people don't loan out strikers have got who, who score goals. Um, now, the clubs have got the ability to do what Brighton are, are, are trying to do with Celtic and offer £20 million for a, for a, a striker as a, as a January solution. Albeit with Dembele, they're buying long-term talent and someone, if he succeeds, who they can expect to make a big profit on down the line, and they will sell that move to him as a, as a stepping stone. Um, and it, another example is Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace have had a very um, hard try at getting Guido Carrillo from, from Monaco. Um, Monaco have said no, they want to keep him till the end of the season, but Carrillo's a, 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 a South American striker that Monaco bought for €9 million. Euros. 
So if you've bought a guy for 9 million euros, he's in your first team scoring goals and a Premier League club comes in for him, you're looking at at least a 20 million deal to, to get him. So that, that's, the, that's the kind of level these clubs are, the cash they have and the level they're looking at now compared to a few, few years ago. They can afford to take these risks and spend a lot of money to try and keep themselves on the Premier League gravy train. So what about somebody like, you know, uh, Theo Walcott? Not in the Arsenal starting team, um, you know, got a, a track record of scoring goals. Is, could we see him move? I think um, he could go back to Southampton, couldn't he? I think I think Walcott you could almost equate with Sturridge Henry in the sense that there is an outside, and I stress outside chance that he could still make it in England squad for the World Cup in Russia this year. And I think that that plus the platform or opportunity to start playing football again and prove himself, show the world that he can still uh, mix with the big guys, still score goals. And I'm talking about Sturridge and Walcott here, <clears throat> which again would lead to the uh, inimitable you know, call for, is he, is he plays his way back in the England squad, etc., etc. I think both those players are in that same boat. They're not on the aeroplane to Russia, but they're in the same boat regarding what they might or may not be able to do or achieve in the next crucial five months of this season. Uh, that might change the destiny of where they are, not just if they're in Russia or not, but also where they will be next season. Um, it's interesting that we have uh, you know, a little um, raft of players who were once uh, believed to be world beaters, have since lost their way for whatever reason, through injury or, or not, or just losing their place in the team, who are available. And there's definitely interests at West Ham, Everton and um, Southampton for Walcott. And Sturridge, uh, again, is a, another very good example of someone who needs to prove himself all over again. So I think we'll, I think there'll be a busy window in that sense. And again, it's unusual to see, let's just say, currently not playing international footballers who are English. Because, as we know, all English players are transferred at a premium price. Um, so it's interesting to see currently non playing international football is being available either on loan or indeed for a cut price fee in this window. And I do believe that come January uh, 31, there'll be a, a lot of them on the move. OK, moving on to Manchester United. Um, they've been making the headlines as usual this uh, last week or so. Um, but a spat, bit of a spat between Jose Mourinho and Paul Scholes, who was uh, critical of uh, Paul Pogba and his recent performances. And Mourinho hit back in his press conference, and there's been quite a lot of coverage in the media. And one of the sort of angles that might have been overlooked was uh, Duncan that Mourinho seemed to be implying that uh, Scholes and his fellow classmates of '92 were uh, keen to get back into Old Trafford and wish they were were there and are undermining him. Um, do you think there's any meat to that, or is he just mischief making? No, absolutely. There's meat to that. Um... Like, as you say, most of the reporting of that press conference was uh, that Mourinho would accuse Paul Scholes of being uh, jealous of Paul Pogba's salary. He didn't actually say that, and I think Mourinho was returning to a theme that he's addressed. Um, even in his first season at the club, saying that the criticism of Paul Pogba gets is linked to the fact that he's the most expensive transfer and on very high wages, and, and he's not judged um, appropriately for what was a player who was signed at the age of 23 and was in his first full season in the Premier League. Um, 
that's the old team. What was the most interesting line for me and what Mourinho said was when he was asked about repeated criticism of Manchester United as a club, he said, I think, I think they would love to be here. They would love to be in the club. And that's a problem I cannot resolve. And that's a very explicit um, expression of something that Mourinho has been saying privately for a while, that the, the, the slew of ex-Manchester United professionals in the media would like to have coaching jobs. In one obvious case, Ryan Giggs would like to be manager of Manchester United. You know, he, he thought he was going to become the manager of Manchester United when he took the assistance role under Louis van Gaal. He managed to work himself into a position where um, the board made a decision not to employ him anymore. There was a, a feeling within the club that not only was Giggs not operating at the, the, in the way they expected as assistant manager, that he was um, undermining the manager while he was supposed to be as his assistant. And that's very much one of the reasons why Mourinho did not countenance having Brian Giggs as assistant manager when he took on the club. Um, he wasn't interested in having a guy who he couldn't trust within his managerial team. He's had that problem before at Chelsea. He huge issues internally and were uh, very closely linked to him being sacked uh, by Chelsea in his second tenure in the club. He didn't want it to happen again. Interestingly, Mourinho, um, from uh, the start of his managerial career to his second spell at Chelsea, had always um, deliberately hired former player as one of his assistants. So uh, in the first time at Chelsea, he had Steve Clark, who was, who was promoted from a, a lesser role within the team. He had Aitor Karanka at Real Madrid, did the same at Inter Milan. Manchester United, he didn't want to do that. Um, one reason for this is that he had grown tired of um, coaching and, and training people up to be coaches and them not contributing uh, enough to the management of the team. And another, I think, a general um, feeling in the background of the club was they, the club itself didn't want to have one of that former class of players in as an assistant because it, it could be an issue going on in terms of the stability of, the, of, the, of Mourinho's management and the stability of the club with Mourinho as manager. I think the other thing um, <clears throat> with this, Henry, is why would you invite you know, a line into your den? Because you know that those guys are legends, um, all five of the Class 92 um, or six, if you include David Beckham, is not uh, part of this discussion. Um, and they've got long-standing relationships with people who have influence at the club, uh, whether it be directors, whether it be Sir Alex Ferguson, Sir Bobby Charles, etc. So if things go wrong, or slightly not as well as expected, like they are at the moment for Manchester United, your suspicion will always be that their opinion will count more than yours um, with people of influence. And at that point, you're being undermined, as Duncan rightly said, uh, Ryan Giggs appear to be doing with Louis van Gaal. Um, also, let's go through the five members of Class of 92, again, excluding David Beckham, uh, and see what their records are. Ryan Giggs uh, was caretaker manager at Manchester United, didn't work out. Philip Neville was assistant to David Moyes, didn't work out. Gary Neville was manager of Valencia, has now stated on more than one occasion, I will never manage again. Uh, and then you've got 
Nicky Butt, who's Academy Director, uh, sorry, Head of Academy at Manchester United. And, oh, look who it is, Paul Scholes, the only one of those five who's never coached or had a managerial position or any kind of influence either at Manchester United or anywhere else. Now, if I'm not mistaken, don't these guys own Salford City? Could one of them actually go and manage Salford City if they were that keen on management? Are they that keen? Or is it the case that they just want to be part of Manchester United rather than actually go and do the dirty work, get their hands dirty and manage their own club, Salford City, in Lower in League Two, but I don't like, think I don't think anybody's suggesting that Paul Scholes wants to be the manager of Manchester United. I mean, but I thought, you know, thought the, the Josie Mourinho saying that he those players wanted to be in the club. Uh huh. But at what level? Well, that's uh, that's the question I'm asking. If you want to be a coach at Manchester United in whatever role, shouldn't you be earning your your spurs somewhere else and show that you're better, you're good enough to coach at Manchester United rather than firing criticism at Josie Mourinho? Or Paul Pogba, and you know what? Maybe, cases, maybe, maybe he doesn't. You know, the, case, the point is, the point is, you know, you know, while we may suspect, and Duncan clearly uh, has a strong view that uh, they do want in at Manchester United, although he hasn't actually said as a coach. Um, well, what would you know, he be then? What would Paul Scholes be if he's not going to be a coach? Well, I don't know. He may be yeah, director. Paul, Paul Scholes applied for the under twenty-three manager's job at Manchester United, and it was given to Ricky Scrabria instead. Okay. Um, recently, he also applied for the Oldham Athletic job and was and didn't get that job. So, so the the what sparked this was that Paul Scholes was, um, you know, as a paid pundit on television and as a former United player and central midfielder, he had some strong opinions on the recent performances of Paul Pogba. But, you know, and it should be stressed, he was quite effusive in his praise of. Paul Pogba's abilities, he just didn't feel that he was playing, one, in the right position, and that two, that he was possibly playing at the level that he was capable of. Um, you know, and he spoke about the team that Pogba played in at Juve and how, you know, Pogba was a, a worker and uh, that, you know, the guy that made the Juve team tick was actually Pirlo and Pogba's being asked to do a role at United that he's doesn't have the skills for and not making the most of them. So it was really, rather than a criticism of Pogba, I would have thought it was more a criticism of Mourinho. Is that a fair summary or what would you dispute in that? Well, he did, he did say that Pogba was just strolling through a game, um, which is a, <laughs> pretty much a criticism of a player when you accuse him of, uh, of uh, not putting enough effort in. Um, I think you're right. He, he did say, he did argue or suggest that Pogba is uh, playing a different role at Manchester United and he might be better suited to um, a more attacking role. And I think, there's, I think there is a, a degree of truth in that. I think, um, I think Pogba, on num a number of occasions in the, you know, the Everton game was a good example of that, when he's played in a midfield three um, and allowed to push further forward up the pitch, he, he's, he's had some very strong performances this season. Personally, I think he is capable of, of playing as a playmaker in front of the defence while still going box to box. I think he's got the, the range of passing. In fact, I think his, his ability to hit long passes is probably as good as anyone in the division. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne is, is better 
at um, a sort of twenty-five yard pass into into the box, but Pogba's ability to hit the sort of balls that Steven Gerrard used to try and try and hit for much of his Liverpool career and quite often miss the target is it really is exceptional. So so that's well suited to being in that role. Um, I think I think there there are elements of it needing other players around them to, to help support, which is why Mourinho wants particular targets in the transfer markets, why he wants a better fullback, why he wants a better winger. Um, but at present, and if, if you're playing an opponent who's suited to that system, best performances are coming in a 4-1-2-3 with, um, with Pogba playing further forward than, than being just in front of defence. I think that's right. I, I've said this before, it is very much my opinion that Pogba is still learning how to be a central yeah. midfielder. He played three seasons on the left side at Juventus where he got much more space and time on the ball. Uh, in fact, Serie A gives you much more space and time on the ball than the Premier League ever does uh, when you're a midfield player. Um, he also has uh, had to adapt to uh, Nemanja Matic as a, as a partner in central midfield, uh, someone who I think has obviously been superb but who's much more functional than Pogba. Pogba's got to be the creative fulcrum of Manchester United. And he's more used to being a player who passes and moves on the left side of a 4-3-3. Now, I'm not making excuses for Pogba here, but I would say that I would agree with Mourinho that the price tag has brought its own problems because people do expect more from Pogba. They expect their boss games. They expect him to score 20 goals or whatever, or 15 goals from midfield. When that, I think, is unrealistic. He's still a very young player, still learning the game. The price tag had nothing to do with him. That was the market um, which demanded uh, and then controlled that. Uh, I think uh, he needs to mature as a person. I think um, from what I've heard from teammates and, and other players who know him, I think he's still quite boyish um, and still uh, has a bit of kind of almost freedom of youth about him rather than the ruthless professionalism, which you need to be the best player in your position in the world. And I think with everything he's got in terms of his ability and his potential, he could well become that player. Or do they go and buy somebody it, to sit next to him? Well, that that's an issue, I think, Henry, as well. I was, I was about to say, it's all very well for Paul Scholes to sit in his little ivory tower on uh, as a pundit, and he's perfectly entitled to his opinion. But he speaks from a position of unusual authority, and gravitas in that he won, I think, 11 Premier League titles with Manchester United. He won the Champions League. He won umpteen other trophies, etc., etc. Oh, and guess what? He played alongside Roy Keane. Probably, or arguably, United's best midfielder of the last 30 years. Now, well, probably second to Paul's goals, to be honest. <laughs> absolutely. It's easy to criticise other people when you're in that position. But I don't think he was criticising. I mean... Let's he said he strolled through a game and wasn't picking enough effort. Well, you know, he might have, he might have a point there. That's that, you know, and that is the point. It's not necessarily, you know, targeting and and picking on and criticising. It's actually analysing the game and looking at what Pogba was contributing. You know, and I think so. That, let's go. Let's go. Let, okay. Regardless, Henry, regardless of that, regardless. Henry, of, let, let's let's go back to the original point. Then, in that case, maybe what Paul Scholes wants is to be able to come into Manchester United and coach Paul Pogba and say, 
Here's I don't think he does. I think, I think his point was that he thinks Pogba should be playing in a different position and that they actually need another central midfielder doing the role that they're... I think they do need another central midfielder. I agree. I think, I think they do. They need more flexibility. But they also need better fullbacks because if you look at Manchester City uh, this season in their incredible run and the way that they've been rightly lauded for the way they play, the key has been overlapping fullbacks who support central midfield and support the front three as well. So you get many more chances to pass the ball in behind, round the corner, in the channels, which creates much more opportunity to score and to make you look as a team like the entertainers. Because you're well, the point, I think the point is, uh, and this is you know something that Duncan's stated frequently, the squad that Manchester United is certainly far from complete and needs a uh, continuing, ongoing work. Um, any update on what's likely to happen over the next four weeks uh, in that sense, Duncan? Well, like you both said that you think Manchester United need another midfielder. Midfielder is one of the positions that Mourinho is trying to recruit in. So he, he, he knows that there's a problem there. And it, you know, you just got to look at this season. Pogba himself has been out for half the season. Um, Michael Carrick hasn't been able to play a Premier League game because of a heart condition. Uh, has, has been in and out of the side. Fellaini has been out um, for, what, the best part of two months now? I think he came back for the Chelsea game um, and then played one more and got injured and, and hasn't played since then. So they're actually very short numbers there, which contributes to having to play Pogba in one position um, in front of the, the defence most of the time, not being able to um, various positions during the game, which is what he did quite effectively early on the season. If you remember at the start of the season when they were um, winning and winning most of their games comprehensively, uh, a, a standard move would be to bring Fellaini on to play alongside Matic and move Pogba further forward later in the game when the opposition defence had tired. So the, you know, all of these factors play into the demands on Pogba. It's certainly, and, it's certainly true. The best thing Mourinho could buy is a, is a time machine and he could go back 10 years and get a younger Michael Carrick back. Or, or indeed a Paul Scholes. Or just, or just the squad of 10 years ago. <laughs> the best thing he could do. Because it would and, be easier to manage than this one. To be fair as well, Henry, I think it's only, it is only fair we point out that uh, of the class of them two, Gary Neville's actually defended uh, Mourinho in his comments regarding Manchester United spending on social media and said that he agrees that Manchester have spent uh, unwisely and sporadically in terms of renewing uh, squad members uh, since Sir Alex Ferguson left. And uh, that has been a big problem for Mourinho because the squad has been unbalanced and indeed they have bought, in his, and I quote, they have wasted money. Yeah, exactly. I mean, regardless of what you think the motivations are, I mean, it would be crazy to think uh, those local guys that grew up at United and are now working in the media are not going to have strong opinions about how it's going. And, you know, while it's hardly disastrous, it's not exactly going to plan this season. Anyway, should we talk about anything else or should we go on to the quickfire round? I think we talk about quickfire. Talk about the <laughs> <laughs> oh, cunning plan, eh? Um, okay, so let's uh, let's have a look at the players that we've discussed, and you tell me where you think they will be playing, playing their trade no less at the start of February. Are we are we good with that? Yep. Okay, I'll start with 
You, Ian, and I will say Thomas Lamar. I suspect he'll still be at Monaco, but uh, I'd say 20% chance he'll be at Liverpool. Duncan, what about Philip Coutinho? I think uh, look, the information I have from Barcelona, the Liverpool end from the player, suggests that this time the deal will go through. Uh, Ian, what about uh, Moussa Dembele? I'd say it's a 50-50 chance he'll still be at Celtic, Henry. Uh, and the other 50% chance will be he will be playing somewhere um, in the Premier League. But as we've discussed over the last hour or so, um, as yet unnamed. Uh, Duncan, Alexis Sanchez. Yeah, I think there's a very high chance he will be at Manchester City by the end of this window. I mean, the player clearly wants the move. Um, the injury to to Gabriel Jesus puts puts pressure on Manchester City's squad. And, and you've got to note that Sergio Aguero um, picked uh, uh, the opportunity to speak to Argentine radio in midweek, making it quite clear that he doesn't want to leave the club, but he doesn't know what's happening uh, with his situation. Ian, Sergio Aguero. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely Manchester City, Henry. Duncan, Danny Ings. Danny Ings. Uh, well, it, it looks like he's going to one of those um, clubs that are chasing them. You want to ask Ian because he has more knowledge of that situation than me. <laughs> okay, Ian, Danny Ings. Uh, West Ham. <laughs> right, in that sense, uh, Duncan, here's, a, here's uh, one left field. Alexandro. Alexandro um, would like to move to Manchester United. Um, Juventus, I'm not sure, are going to let him go. I think they're going to price him out of a move this window again. Uh, Ian Lee Griffiths. I suspect Celtic can't afford to let him go, Henry. Uh, Duncan Olivier Giroud. I think he'll remain at Arsenal in this window. Right, last one, Ian. Paul Pogba. Well, look, I wasn't able to say earlier, but I can say now is. <laughs> The fact that he wasn't paired with Zlatan Ibrahimovic in central midfield has so it disappointed is. him that he's asked for a transfer and he's only signed for his Aberdeen FC. Oh, the dandy talents. He wants to remain a mighty red. Well, maybe Derek McInnes could show him how to play centre midfield. But hey! On that note, let's tie things up because we're going from the almost sublime to the definitely ridiculous... Um, this has been the transfer window of the first of 2018. Um, we'll be hopefully bringing you lots of exciting and uh, insightful transfer news over the coming weeks and indeed months ahead in the, this year. Um, my thanks to Ian and Duncan for joining us as always. You can get us on iTunes, you can get us on Audio Boom, and uh, please. Share it on your social media accounts and tell your pals to tune in because, as you know, it's probably the finest podcast in the world. Um, thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening. Happy New Year, people.